0: Welcome to Bollywood is for Lovers, part of the Alberta Podcast Network, locally grown, community supported. I'm Aaron Fraser.
1: And I'm Matt Bose. In this special supplemental episode, we're joined by OK Computer creators Neil Pagadar and Pooja Shetty to discuss the genre-bending series that's now streaming on Hotstar.
0: Before we begin, we would like to respectfully acknowledge that we record this podcast on Treaty 6 territory, home of First Nations and Métis people.
1: All right, so we are uh, speaking here with uh, Neil Pagadar and Pooja Shetty, the creators of the new TV show, uh, OK Computer. Uh, how are you two uh, today,
2: this evening? <laughs> We're today. You're <here laughs> this evening. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's it's going great. It's it's all going good. We can't complain. It's been, uh, I think, close to a month, two months since, since the show dropped. Uh, yeah, it's it's been unreal. Uh, it was still sort of, it's still sinking in. Uh, but yeah, can't complain, it's
3: going well. It's been like two months of uh, lockdown also. It's actually been longer lockdown, like we've entire done entire post in lockdowns. So, but it's it's a really weird feeling to have the release and post-release also in a lockdown. It's uh, so Apart from that, we're, we're, we're pretty good. We've we've gotten the hang of doing a lot of Zoom calls and Zoom interviews and Zoom hangouts and hangouts. So, that's, that's our life now.
1: Yeah, everyone has, basically. Um, but let's get, get right into it, because something that we really liked about the show is, and you'll forgive me if I'm completely off the mark here, but I think I am on it, that I, I think you're presenting a pretty optimistic view of the future. There are there's some big challenges that humanity is dealing with, but other ones have been like taken care of. And especially right now, as things are pretty damn dark around the planet, you know, it was actually nice to see a show that was so hopeful. Um, was that intentional? Like, do you want to kind of fight against the depressing sci-fi? I'm thinking, like, children of men, right? Like, just everything's gone to shit. Whereas this, you know, people are getting murdered every now and then, and there's some agitation, yeah. but a lot of things are actually going okay, <laughs> except for pineapples, though.
3: Right. <laughs> I yeah. mean, yeah, absolutely.
2: Sorry. Yeah, we Sorry. Uh,
3: going. It was a very conscious choice. We, uh, you know, one thing that we uh, have hated for a very long time is how shows, cinema, some literature does does a huge disservice to science. Uh, because whatever you know, our entire civilization, everything that we have right now uh, is because of science and because of the progress and the march of technology and the progress that it's made uh, to aid humanity. Uh, so we didn't want to cast uh, science in a negative light uh, we didn't want to be anti intellectual we didn't want to be anti science or anti rational uh, we wanted that to triumph uh, but at the same time we didn't want to be naive in the assumption that everything is going to be like it's not not everything is rose colored like tinted glasses mm-hmm. um, we to be very aware that what the limitations are what the biases are what um, you know what are the uh, fallacies that we can sort of commit as a, as a civilization and that normally comes from, you know, corporations or from policy or from, you know, from institutions that do not really uh, respond to things well. Uh, so we, we really wanted to address it in that way. We didn't want to stop technology, but we want or science. We wanted to be aware, raise questions of mm-hmm. what that means, and, and raise the ethics of it or raise the the uh, you know um, the morality of it.
2: Uh, we also, I mean, all artists, all humankind. Uh, all of humankind feels existential. we, we feel existential every day. Uh, but as as writers and as, uh, as, as thinkers and as creators we feel like um, existentialism is, uh, existentialism is a base base reality for us. it's a it's a baseline. Uh, our job as creators is, is then to find meaning in things and if that meaning doesn't exist in in anything else, we create it. Mm-hmm. Um, and if we're going to create meaning, if we're going to start from scratch, why shouldn't it be hopeful? Uh, because because life is nasty, brutish, and short anyway. Um, uh, so so we we consciously knew that we wanted to, and and this is also our worldview. It's it's not something that we had to consciously attempt to manifest uh, in the work, but it's really how we feel. It it feels like uh when as as much as there's strife and and despair and um, and hopelessness. Uh, there's an equal number of. Um, positive outcomes that have resulted from years and years of, of, of civilizational progress, like Udaya's saying. Um, like, just, just this past year has been a roller coaster, and, uh, and somehow, in, in a span of 11 months, we have like what five or six viable vaccines, or probably more. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's 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 an extremely hopeful time, and uh, and like Pooja is saying, science has made that hope possible. So uh, we we constantly felt the responsibility of communicating that hope and wonder and awe that science and technology seem to create every day in labs or or in research. Uh, we wanted to pass that wonder and, and and that awe and sort of communicate it to to the world at large.
1: Yeah, like you talk about the vaccines. I think I read that. I believe it was uh, BioNTech, the Pfizer one. They actually sequenced, the, the Chinese sequenced the disease in like a day and then they fed it into their computer and in two days they actually had the vaccine figured out. It was just, now we have to ch- test it out. But like the fact that a computer can do all that so quickly and then it's up to us humans to be the control and figure out like the proof, That that's just amazing to me. And the fact that they're looking at... You know, a malaria vaccine next, and all these other things using this mRNA technology. It's we're we're on the brink of like a golden age in some respects. We just have to, you know, use our use our collective intelligence and, you know, work on some of these bigger problems. Uh, So that's why you know, we'll see what you think of this one. I think that that your show is uh, a post cyberpunk work because cyberpunk was so depressing and. Nihilistic, and corporations run everything. Whereas post-cyberpunk, like uh, Snow Crash or uh, Cory Doctorow's work, it's looking at that and saying, okay, well, what what happens next? What happens when we have this this high technology, but also morality behind it? What label do you attach to your own work? How do you, how do you describe this thing? Because there's a lot going on. Here.
0: Yeah, where do you see it within uh, science fiction, within the genre?
3: Oh wow. Um you, I mean actually for the longest time um I used to miss um uh, what do you call it? Misdiagnose, miss misdefine miss yeah. the word heterotopia. Mm. Uh, I use it as as neither utopia nor dystopia, but you know, in the end basically heterotopia is is, is worlds are worlds that are that work in isolation, that that, that works in like um almost like you know, that, that outside forces don't really react to, or it, it has its own rules, it has its own, sort of, uh, character. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I sort of imagine it, Asho, uh, show, as that sort of, that middle space that, which is reality, you know, which is, nothing is great, nothing is, nothing is, like, utopian and nothing is so beautiful, and neither is it so uh, dystopic. Uh, and that's where I think, you know, absurdism plays such a nice space into it, because, it is nihilistic. Um, it is existential, but in the end, because it's absurd, uh, it it has this ability to make fun of itself and, and you know just throw this. I mean, because it's chaotic, right? Our world is chaotic. So there is no way of you know defining it or understanding it. So I feel like our show is also a bit in that space. It's absurd. It's it's maximalistic. It's it's um, it's too much on your senses. Is what I think of the show would be in, in that sort of space it's it's not one thing it's yeah i don't know you how do you define Is everything
1: it?
2: all at the same yeah. time yeah yeah it's it's actually uh it's an it's an expression of the indian experience really because it's if you've ever i mean if you've ever been to india and you guys are, are you know uh you guys consume so much of indian culture through film and through, through television uh but it's 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 just an accumulation of of all kinds of things uh, in Indian culture and I feel like um, we wanted to capture that right from the get-go because we were too uh, tired of, of the uh, dystopian idea of, of science fiction and of course we live in a dystopia as much as we live in a, in a utopia. Um, so just, just uh, capturing the Indian reality already means that we're sort of um, encompassing uh, its, its various absurdities, the daily idiosyncrasies that we encounter um and again this is something that we discuss. we used to discuss uh, before we started writing uh, It's that all of this sort of um, the idea of capturing the indian absurd experience came uh, from the story of of uh, a, ma- a mall parking lot um and the story goes uh, that puja and i were driving to a, a suburban mall uh, in in mumbai uh, we pulled up to uh, the parking lot and uh, we were stopped by this boom pole thing that uh, uh, You're supposed to stop at, and then they would recently. They had installed these machines uh, that would dispense a ticket, so you could remember where you parked and how much you had to pay when you got out. Uh, But but the powers that be uh, from the mall decided that it was also prudent to install a a life and blood human being right next to the machine, um, whose job it would be to press the button that would dispense the ticket, and then. and then simply meet the distance between the driver's outstretched hand and, and the, the machine itself. Um, and they would have shipped, so they were every three hours there would be a change in shift. Um, and it felt like this, this is such a great capsule of uh, an absurd Indian experience. We're, we're living in a time where we have uh, really sophisticated technology, but um, in India we feel like that's not enough. We need to beat it up, we need to manipulate it, we need to... Uh, Appropriated in a way that it, it finally suits our needs. So it's not enough to just to have uh, the greatest AI and the greatest inventions at our disposal. It has to be uh, changed. It has to be manipulated a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, so so the show is a reflection of that. Uh, we were also talking the other day that uh, if we had to find an equivalent in, in music, for example, uh, what would the show be? Because it's a it's had. Um, it's had a bit of a uh, overwhelming experience for a lot of people. It's, it's made that happen in people where uh, we've, we've heard from a lot of people who even like the show saying that, you know, it's, it's a bit too much. It gets to be a, a little too much, but I liked it anyway. Uh, so it's like, a, it's like a, a few caffeine shots delivered in a matter of two hours. Um, so it, we felt like um, if you've ever heard uh, Sufjan Stevens' uh, Age of Hearts, which came out, I don't know, a decade ago or, some, uh, or something like that, uh, it feels like that's that's a great uh, uh, that's a great analogy for us in terms of music because it's a it's a completely maximalist uh, unapologetic relentless almost ruthless sort of assault on your senses mm-hmm. um so we feel like ours is like a comedic rendition of that
4: yeah that makes so much sense i i am always a fan of maximalism <laughs> i yeah. always want like more more more
1: yeah if and... i had to pick a musical group i would say the avalanches <laughs> do you know them oh yeah I don't think so, They're uh, uh, Sort of like Sufjan Stevens, they take forever to put out new music. I think they put out <laughs> two albums in 15 years. And it was so much wow. so that some of our younger friends didn't even know who they were. We are like, where were you? <laughs> oh, yeah, you were in junior high when that came up. Right? <laughs> uh, but they, they're an Australian group who do turntablism. And oh, it's wow. like... Um, Someone has tried to figure out every single uh, sample sample that they've used, and it's almost impossible just because they've used, like, TV, movies, uh, other songs, and they use it to just create these beautiful songs that have just been stuck in my head for 15 years. But if you were to (laughs) distill it down, it would be, you know, so many little pieces that work together to make this whole. So, um, but talking about sort of influences... So I think we said this on the episode, but this has to be the Indian uh, science fiction property we've seen that is most in conversation with Western sci-fi. Because, you know, we've seen things like Action Replay, which is a remake oh of my. Back to the Future. Or, or Raw 1. Or Raw 1, which is kind of about video games, I guess. but Or uh, um, Love Story 2050, which is just... Of horrible <laughs> but even just watching this show scene by scene we were thinking of like okay well this kind of reminds me of uh, Mobius's work and this kind of reminds me of uh, Ghost in the Shell or which is not western which is not it's western yeah Stephanie. but um, it's it's definitely not Indian though uh, or the the building that the corporation is in kind of reminds me of the Tyrell Corporation from uh, yeah. Blade Runner so Blade Runner. what did what uh, do you see yourself as being influenced by outside Indian uh, sci-fi because we did?
2: <laughs> Absolutely, yes. Um, also it, it was a uh, it was a necessity uh, when we uh, started looking at and also we've uh, I mean since uh, as far as I can remember, as far back as I can remember, uh, the both of us have been influenced uh, by uh, science fiction that was always from outside India. Uh, you know, whether it was Russian or or American or or even Japanese or Chinese, Chinese more recently. Uh, so those influences were always with us. Uh, those uh, Isaac Asimov was a humongous influence on uh, on our early ideas, uh, and and that's how the Three Laws of Robotics also made its way into the show because we felt like um, there was that was a common ground that we could all agree on, or even disagree on. Uh, but we knew that that, that, that that was something that we needed to set up and maybe subvert later. Um, so uh, when we started researching this and and while we, while we were writing this, we quickly realized that there wasn't too much to fall back on in terms of Indian science fiction. There's been a considerable amount of Indian science fiction going back, uh, you know, five or six decades. Uh, but it's always bordered on, uh, it's, on it's always bordered, bordered on, Fantasy. There, they've always been works of uh, fiction that were interspersed with myth and fantasy, and um, they were always sort of reimaginations of, of uh, mythical Indian works. Uh, there, there would always be a, a god of death. Uh, there would always be talks of an afterlife. Um, while that has been enchanting for for a large part of the audience, uh, we disagreed with the the fundamental classification of a work like that as science fiction uh, we wanted to focus on the science part of it and especially the hard science part of it because that's that's what we grew up consuming uh you know whether it was neil stevenson or uh brian egan or uh, ursula k Le Guin, we knew that uh communicating hard ideas of science was completely possible uh even though those ideas might be four or five decades away from our present day the influences were always non-indian there were, there were there wasn't much to fall back on. There was, there were works from Satyajit Ray, who's who's you know regarded as the finest filmmaker from India. Uh, but again, those have constantly bordered on things that we couldn't digest as science fiction. They are so often bothered on on uh, sort of leaps of faith within science fiction. They would we we found it very hard to consume those as as uh, sort of ardent fans of science fiction. Um, and the, and then uh, going back. Uh, the most recent uh, piece of science fiction that had any impact on our culture was Mr. India, which came out, I think, maybe thirty or thirty-five years ago. Uh, and there hasn't been much else. There's there's been a lot of campy, uh, weird commercial stuff that has gone on in in Bollywood in the last few years and decades. Uh, but there wasn't really any cinematic value in anything. We couldn't find any artistic or or scientific integrity in anything that was coming out. Uh, so we of course had to rely upon the world. Uh, we had to look back, look look back and look ahead, and uh, and we knew that the three body problem had had come out of China. Uh, Black Panther, which is such a humongous property that has that has emerged from the comic book uh, universe, uh, so so neatly uh, uh, was transposed into uh, Afrofuturism. So we knew that it was possible to do this in India. We knew that we could. Uh, could sort of uh, inherit uh, works of science fiction heritage and appropriate them and deorient them for uh, the indian subcontinent
1: so what you're saying is Krish is not sci fi or what about uh, what about anthron uh, i mean he's a bunch of, he's a robot that's basically sci fi <laughs> well, he's, qu- a, he's qu- a bunch qu- of robots prime
4: is supposedly based on a story <laughs> but yeah i
1: Yes. <laughs> so, would you say that you guys are working in, like, an, uh, you say Afrofuturism for uh, a Black Panther? Or are you guys working in the Indo futurism space?
3: I mean, that's the attempt, you know, because um, for the longest time, like, like we were saying that we've been consuming science fiction, you know, uh, ideas and literature and films from outside. Uh, it becomes it almost becomes second nature, and second nature for us to sort of continue that conversation. Uh, and most times what we forget when continuing this conversation is that India has sort of been left behind. Uh, you know, it's it's a conversation that's happening globally, but India's not doesn't have a seat on that table. Um, so it becomes, it, it was a really weird sort of moment for us that we had to realize that we couldn't just jump off something like Gattaca or Star Wars or 2001, A Space Odyssey. Mm-hmm. We have to establish our science fiction. We have to establish, you know, just the basics that Asimov had already established, you know, Uh, sort of take our audiences along with this new sort of world and then jump and join that conversation. So it became this very weird sort of feeling where we had to sort of cater to novices and also we had to cater to professionals and like geeks. Uh, So it wasn't that we were sort of very conflicted there. So it was always a sort of, you know, give and take that what do we keep? What do we not keep? Like for for the longest time, so many people, like we mentioned three laws of robotics because again it's the basis of you know ai and, and Asimov has done this but a lot of people in india assume that we came up with that yeah. uh not mentioning that you know it's the three laws itself have been like uh you know disrupted just by action himself. so it obviously doesn't work so just that became quite a challenge for us uh, so making that new pop culture you know uh was both uh, exciting and um a, a sort of like a, a task uh, because we had to build, you know, everything from costumes to architecture to the way people talk to, uh, you know, make everything but put it in Indian pop culture. Mm-hmm. Um, which again, like, you know, like the references that you were saying, like Krish and all those guys, they just derive it from Western, uh, you know, uh, yeah. film and then they sort of, just put a new wrapper and assume that people are going to uh, accept it. But there's no way of accepting it if if your bases are not, if your foundation is not there. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I think it it was an attempt for endocratism. I think we wanted to do a lot more um, just in terms of everything, like, you know, design and concept and, you know, just philosophy as well. Uh, But this this was sort of our first step into uh, this sort of space for India.
4: You just touched on my favorite aspect of the show which is just how fully realized the, the world is from like the production design to the costume design and I, wa- I wanted to ask you guys how you approach that because I just like my jaw was on the floor when we started watching this show I was just like oh my god every corner of the frame they have thought through this world. And there are there are both like jokes hidden in every corner of the frame, as well as just like again this this commitment to to this to this world that they that they've created and and this future that they've envisioned. And it just like it completely sucks me out. So I'm very curious on how you guys, you know, set about doing that approach to the production design and the costume design and just all of these things that would that would create this fully formed world for us
1: the logos for the uh, the cyber cops and things like you don't you don't see them very closely but you can see like oh that's kind of the key to different uh, sort of aspects of the job and like that yeah. that, that, that detail is great
4: it's easy as a viewer to take that that kind of work for granted but you know so much science fiction has become really kind of cold and flat and kind of you know you were talking about that maximalism like it's gone really minimalist i, I find like mm-hmm. the christopher yeah. nolan, I, I like christopher nolan, but the christopher nolan stuff is like it's a lot more minimalist but here it looks like Apple story, you know man. to put all of that <laughs> in the frame so so can yeah, if you could tell us about the production and costume design we'd, we'd really love to hear about it
3: so when we you know started uh, designing the world i think our basic philosophy also came from Uh, comparing two films, uh, one being 2001 A Space Odyssey and the other being Solaris. Both, uh, you know, have pretty much the same narrative, uh, you know, Mm -hmm. the philosophy is also more... I'm sorry, the the story is the same, like both Mm -hmm. go to a space station, both uh, exploring new planets, but both of them have like an extremely different treatment. Mm -hmm. uh, And you see the treatment from where they're coming from, from which countries they're coming from you know, uh, Solaris is from East Europe, it's, it is, sorry, it's from Russia, so it has, so when, you know, uh, Tarkovsky made it, he said that if, if space travel became such a common thing, then it makes sense that, you know, the design of the spaceship should be like a beaten, rundown bus stop, mm-hmm. uh, and not, uh, you know, a Mac store, an Apple store, for example. It should be. It should be like that. Whereas you see Stanley Kubrick's 2001: A Space Odyssey. It looks like it's 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 keen. It's it, ha- it has like very high design. It's it's extremely stark. Uh, so those two worldviews uh, of those filmmakers came through their work. Um, so I think that sort of uh, you know that that approach led us to how you know our basis of its end of your futurism or how design or costume uh, everything would sort of work in Oki computer because we wanted it to be rooted in in where we are coming from so for example you know the robots uh it made sense for us to use robots that were a continuation of um this this godridge almighty uh, sorry godridge cupboard so there are these Metallic cupboards that you see in almost every other house in India, at least while we were growing up. Uh, so, using that metal aesthetics to make a robot, mm-hmm. or using, um, you know, uh, uh, objects that are existing all around us. Like we have these very weird fiberglass penguins and weird wild animals as dust winds. Those are real. Uh, so, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Those are real. really you've seen them. <laughs> so the idea was to use that, upcycle it, so it became, um, you know, contextual. Uh, like That's one thing that we sort of discuss also, like how we love Seinfeld also, and we keep like cracking on Seinfeld, but there's so many references that we just don't know of, like, I mean, only if you're in New York... Um, you know, you might get uh, almost all the references, but it's still really funny for us. It's still something that we really like. So we were hoping that that would also apply to us—that uh, we have a lot of pop culture and allusions and um, you know things that we uh, really wanted to put in the show, um, which would appeal, hopefully, appeal to Indian audiences and you know have that sort of sense of connection. But at the same time, internationally, internationally also have that sort of uh, would not lose its charm uh, internationally as well. Mm
2: -hmm. Yeah, and when we were trying to place it on uh, on the map of how the show would look and sound, we uh, really relied on all of our favorite stuff. So like Pooja said, Seinfeld, uh, there was 30 Rock and Community. Uh, All of these references informed what would happen in our episodes. Um, And then we also looked at uh, world cinema. We looked at um, the works of Jacques Tati. Again, because Jacques Tati's work relies so much on on uh, interaction with space and the humor and absurdity that emerges from uh, that interaction. Um, so we knew we wanted those things. We knew that we wanted to create a maximalist piece of work, uh, and that that eventually meant that um, uh, you know we looked at something like Arrested Development, and um, in that entire trajectory of a season, um, you'll you'll find that Tobias has left blue colored uh, fingerprints on a refrigerator yeah. somewhere. He blew uh, and himself so he it didn't in... rub off on anyone later. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, so that idea stuck with us because in, in so many episodes where you wouldn't uh, see Tobias, you'd still see the blue finger marks. Um, you know, you'd see uh, that his hair was, uh, his, his scalp was, his body was rejecting his uh, new hair follicles and you experience those. B and C stories, even even in episodes that didn't really feature them. Um, so we wanted to create that in costume and in design, and we were extremely excited about doing that painstaking work. I would I would say I was more excited about that than some of the bigger stuff. Uh, just because I wanted to, I wanted uh, people to to look at uh, the, the the fake packets of chips that we created or the fake soda brands that we created and go, oh look, could that be real? Could that uh, is that something that I could buy at the store? And we had a great time coming up with absurd names uh, for those things. Um, and the and the hope really was that uh, that people would notice this and people would maybe freeze a frame and, and zoom in and see that, oh, there's there's a thing sticking out there and that might be an Easter egg or um, or whatever, just a, an interesting piece of trivia. Um, so it, it's just really looking at uh, some of our favorite sitcoms um, uh, and so, some of the greatest classics uh, of, of world cinema and, and uh, design and marrying it together and making this strange chimera because it's it's a strange, unique uh, really alien animal to have Jacques Tati and, and Tina Fey and and Seinfeld all living together in a piece of work but we were so uh, we, it, it seemed so fulfilling to do that and it, it felt so uh, reassuring uh, to see that and it was making the team laugh, it was making the designers laugh and uh, we can just constantly felt like uh, it was the right
3: thing to do and we also sort of use a lot of architecture because um, like that's one thing that I think you know we sort of miss in in our sort of industry in India that we don't really communicate with other um, streams or other fields and you know have that conversation through art and culture as well. Uh, it works in silos and it works sometimes in corrupted silos. so we wanted to uh, you know bring marry as many you know uh, sort of streams as possible so we worked with a lot of architects also so most of the spaces uh you know that we did use were um they're like the finest contemporary architects from india uh like uh bb doshi who uh, who won the pritzker prize last year uh so he was one of the architects who sort of gave us his space so the the gufa you know the the dome shaped space where satoshi was living.
1: uh,
3: yeah so that's designed by him and this very famous uh, painter M.F. Is it? Is then it featured
1: have... in real life too? Yeah,
3: yeah, yeah. That's yeah. so. It, it, it's a it's a collaboration between a painter and a, an architect. So it's cool. a it's a gallery, cool. it's a museum, and uh, M.F. painted uh, you know himself on the walls. Uh, so it's it's a really interesting story, which you know one should hear uh, at some point. So that was the intention to sort of bring in the architecture, and it's you know it's. It's really sad, but we don't have that sort of conversation going on um, in India. Like what we sort of, you know, always discuss, you know, Neil and I is that when you're in Europe or when you're in America, you can walk into, there's, there's a small lane and you'll walk into a gallery holding like the finest artists in the world. We miss that. We miss buildings. We miss art. Uh, the, getting that is is a work of effort, you know, so we wanted to. Bring that to the masses, like we wanted mm-hmm. to make it like this exists in India, you know this is possible in India, so we really had that sort of sort of driving factor also uh, you know, in the show, so we really wanted to you know, make it detailed, bring in artists, bring in art- architects, bring in designers, and make it uh, maximalist for everyone. Mm-hmm.
4: Yeah, Yeah, it's such a
1: feast for the eyes. Well, I was going to ask about the architecture because uh, you probably don't know anything about where we're from, but it's very cold here. And also, (laughs) we had the most money in the 70s. So our kind of downtown and university areas are very based on brutalist architecture. And I thought that the police station and the the Hall of Justice and the... um, the kind of corporate headquarters. We're all kind of concrete, brutalist kind of stuff. Yeah. We have that here because it gets down to minus 40. But I was wondering, like, what is the sort of practical use of brutalist buildings in India where it's so hot? It, does, like, the concrete keep it cool? Yeah. Or how's that work? Do you know?
3: The worst design choice to go with, actually. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> so I'm also an architect. So I, I've, okay. I've professionally studied architecture. So uh, obviously I'm into architecture heavily. Uh, but, you know, it's weird because... So India, while becoming the sort of modern India, you know, just post, um, post-independence, when after British sort of left the uh, country, it's India started um, taking in a lot of their uh, ideas and references from Russia. Mm. Uh, so even our constitution is almost, we, we've uh, adopted a lot of socialism from Russia, uh, which also meant the cinema from Russia, which also meant, you know, the architecture from Russia. So that way, brutalism came along with that, And the other thing is that when uh, you know, you know, the first few uh, prime ministers, when they started building this world, because it just opened up, right? Uh, The entire country sort of opened up, the nation opened up. They invited a lot of architects. So Mm -hmm. Corbusier was a huge thing here. So Bibi Doshi was Corbusier's uh, sort of protege. So Corbusier designed Chandigarh, uh, Mm -hmm. which is an entire city designed by him. Louis Kahn. Ka- Louis Kahn's work is also in uh, Ahmedabad. So all these people, all the masters of the West also came to India to sort of create work. You know, Moshe Sabdi also made some uh, buildings in Chandigarh. So uh, it's sort of, I don't know how it sort of became a lineage, uh, you know, to use brutalism uh, and concrete in that way. And that sort of permeated even out of contemporary architects. Uh, they have different ways of like sort of making it sustainable, like um, Golji Itmatro's Cyber Cell, which. I mean, the cyber cell we have used, it's completely concrete, but they have this steel sort of roof, uh, you know, just protecting the concrete from heating up. Uh, So in that way, they've made it sustainable uh, and they have a long pool which sort of pulls the office. So it's a really weird, it's it's different in India because we have vernacular architecture, we have, you know, traditional architecture uh, and that's something that we also wanted to do, like create these visual escapes. uh, So whenever we see institutions, it's brutalist and it's concrete. Whenever we see, it's homes. It's more, you know, like these heritage houses where it's painted and where it's it's more warm. Uh, so it's sort of that dichotomy that we live in. So we also wanted to sort of represent it in our visual style.
1: It's weird how brutalism yeah, came around like it was supposed to be futuristic in the 60s and 70s and then it became yeah. super dated and now it's kind of feels futuristic again. Um, my American history teacher told me that Edmonton is where brutalism came to die. And he's probably right, but it all, like, it makes me feel kind of like, it, it feels like home a brutalist landscape, which is weird, but it, it always feels very, like, familiar to me.
4: Yeah, though we're in the process of tearing down all these buildings. Oh yeah, we, we don't keep anything
1: longer than 50 years here, but, uh, that's something that it's always, in, uh, uh, interested me about India is that, you know. Uh, Canada, at least white settler colonial Canada. Here in Alberta, the province has only been around since 1905. So the oldest building in town is maybe I don't know 120 years old. But in India, wow. you have oh, buildings yeah. that are you know hundreds of years old next to you know a cell phone store or like the most ephemeral sort of stuff. And I think uh, your show definitely uh, plays with that dichotomy really well you get like the, the compound of the anti-tech cult and you know, they look like they live in like just a colony like you would have normally, but then you get like the cyber cell. Right. So, um, can you talk a bit more about the, the anti-tech people? Because they, they are, they're definitely absurd, but they're not that far off from some anti-scientific types we hear about all the time, specifically yeah. during a pandemic, you know, there's, there's yeah. definitely people right now who are not that far away.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, they, and especially during calamities like COVID or, or even during cyclones or whatever, they just seem to crawl out of the woodworks. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, they're, they're, and they're everywhere. Uh, we, we, we took inspiration from a lot of people that existed in India and that existed elsewhere. Um, with, uh, and with all this talk of, of vaccinations and of uh, 4G and 5G technology, it was, these people were always around us. Um, so we 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 had a we were spoiled for choice. It was like a buffet of of just uh, aggressive uh, uh, an aggressive lack of intelligence. So there was a lot to pick from. Uh, but at the same time, we wanted to uh, we wanted to do some justice to 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 the people in 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 terms of what they were saying and what they were thinking. Um, not that uh, what they were saying or thinking was rational, but we wanted to construct. Uh, a rationality for them that was consistent for where they were coming from um, so uh, that's why the idea of of a uh, of, of just a character who who says that uh, you know his three or four previous generations have been ruined by uh, the progress of technology first it was uh, mechanization and then industrialization and now there's a fourth wave of of uh, artificial intelligence so we did want to create uh, that as a as an origin story for a super villain Who's rooted in in uh, anti-vaccines and uh, those kinds of repressive uh, ideas, uh, but at the same time they had to make sense uh, of what they were saying. They they had to be authentic and real. Uh, the instinct was to create uh, embodiments of arguments. Uh, we we wanted there to be a voice that was that stood for artificial intelligence and stood for science. We wanted a a, a voice that was still trying to figure out what. Uh, the future course of humanity would be, and then a, a completely off the rails kind of a voice that just wanted the uh, random uh, annihilation of of all progress. Um, so uh, we we were very excited about creating uh, an entire sort of um, robust uh, spectrum of arguments that would reflect uh, present day India and present day wherever you know whether it's Canada or or, or the US. Um, And for for those people to fight and and, uh, clash with each other and in their interaction figure out where the hell they're going to go and how do we bring everybody along.
1: They reminded me of the Neo-Victorians from uh, Neil Stephenson's The Diamond Age, if you've read that book. Like, yeah, this kind of regression. Oh, technology is scary, I'm afraid of a Jeep. Like, uh, I'm I'm just gonna put a weird uh, cloak on and never use my phone. <laughs> like yeah. it's not like yeah. technology is going to go away. You're you're just going to be a luddite, which is fine, but you know it's it, you're you're deliberately pulling yourself away from the world.
3: In India, it's also weird because um, I mean, of course, luddites exist everywhere, but in India, at some point. Technology gets appropriated into religion as well, Mm. which is a very weird thing to happen, you know, because it's so hypocritical. um,
1: Yeah, text your guru for, you know, such and such uh, alms and uh, that kind of thing. Um, So you spoke earlier about how you find that a lot of Indian science fiction kind of falls back on uh, mythology and stories. I'm also thinking of how that has been done in the West, too, with... uh, uh roger zelaney's lord of light or um grant morrison's oh what was that called 29 days his his retelling of the Mahabharata, but with superheroes basically right. but um yeah. i yeah. do kind of find that ajib is sort of worship like he's he's like a he's like a, a figure that people do think of as a deity and i wonder if you could go a little bit more into that because He's kind of a fascinating part of the story. Everyone else you kind of understand, but we've never actually seen anything like Jeep in real life. And that would change everything, right?
4: Oh, also, is he named after the famous automaton? Because I I read about the famous automaton after we recorded the episode, and I was like, I bet that's where the name came from.
2: <laughs> yeah, we. Uh, that was a strange revelation because we had written uh, Jeep's character, years ago years and years ago and 2 years after writing the character and, and figuring figuring out the name we realized that there had already been an uh, automaton called a gene. it was a really late discovery and and when we had it was also interesting because when we first come up with that character it was um, also a chess playing robot uh, it was a it was a robot that had been used, that had been appropriated by a chess player to cheat at a tournament that was the first iteration of that character, so it was a really strange coincidence to, to go to Wikipedia. Somebody sent us a Wikipedia link, and it was just like a weird mind-bending kind of. Work. Yeah, because it, it was not
4: a real automaton. It was like a guy pretending to be. A to- Anyways, yeah. when I read about it afterwards, I was like, "Oh, I wonder if that was, if that was a, a coincidence it's, or, or is, not?" It's because
1: spontaneous creation. That's yeah, amazing. it's just it's so yeah. Yeah. up so quickly.
3: Yeah, just. Collective
1: consciousness
3: in the end. <laughs> <laughs> it was ready. was out there. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, I think Ajib. I mean, in India is really weird because, I mean, there's this one story also we keep talking about. Uh, in Rajasthan, some place in North India, uh, you know, there was this child prodigy doctor uh, so, at a very, very young age, she became a doctor at like a 12 or 13 or something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he sort of narrates this. So, he had an interview where he, um, when he sort of became world famous, when he you know, got his doctorate. Um, like I MBA. think with Oprah. He, he, he
2: talked about
3: this with Oprah. Yeah. Uh, so, then we, so, then he said that in India, it's weird that in this village, people would come and worship him. And like people have thought, but would refuse to take medicines from it or take the scientific knowledge from it hmm. so it's your religion uh, like any any scientific progress it's, it's easier to worship someone as, as a god as a, than take it as a scientific a scientific breakthrough uh so we live in that world, which is why ajeeb made sense yeah so in india it's it's uh i think people you know it's well if ajib would be created if an algorithm and ai would have been uh, conceptualized in India, it would make sense that people worship it uh, as a deity, and less as a technological sort of breakthrough. Um, and we also wanted to, you know, dwell on the idea of free will because that's that's our. Uh, I don't know, Holy Grail. That's our, that's our, you know, the the ethos of our century, right? We have the idea of free will, the idea of liberty, the idea of freedom uh, that we as individual. Our justice system is made by that idea that we all have free will. Um, you know how before it used to be the church or it used to be religion. Now, now it's the idea of 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 humanity uh, that that has sort of overtaken it. Um, so we wanted to bring the idea of what that what does that mean um, in terms of uh, you know even with us. Like it's easier to bring these questions up when it's not our species, you know, when it's when it's something else, when it's something devoid of us. So we can ask these questions for someone else and then in turn sort of come to that realization or that awareness ourselves. So we wanted to bring the idea of what if you create the sentient being, that's conscious being, but it, this sentient being has desire. Uh, what do you what do you do then? Uh, you know, is, is liberty, should you like allow this person to be, allow this robot to be the way it? You know, it, let it sort of live its life, or do you bring it back and say that no, it's it's to the service of humanity. So then, what is what is what is free will for us then? I mean, like, should we do? Do we have? Is it justified for us to have desire, or is it justified for us to have you know the trappings of of evolution and biology?
2: Um, I think in some ways, also, um, uh, I, I think at the center of it is is just the. Um, it's a it's a matter of science communication uh, for me. I think um, just the chasm between scientific progress and the people who may benefit from that scientific progress is so wide uh, that information just gets lost. Uh, the you know that that uh, that old quote that uh, sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic that so often manifests in in places like India because this the uh, there's an entire bulwark uh, the between uh people and between whatever's happening uh in, in silicon valley or even in India in bangalore uh, it's so opaque uh, that people are uh, more willing to believe uh, that, that, that their works that just uh, scientific progress is just something that is conjured up um, especially in places where uh, you know even basic education can't be afforded to people uh, Scientific progress can can take on uh, really really strange proportions and and dimensions. Uh, like Puja is saying, like like the child prodigy was treated as a god, it was easier for people to believe that it was it was a miracle, it was a uh, it was a divine manifestation than uh, the fact that it it was a child prodigy. Um, so so often information just gets sort of escapes into a magical mythical realm, and I think that was also the instinct that. Um, early filmmakers and artists tried to capture because science fiction seemed made up. Uh, it, it seemed that uh, going to the moon was was, uh, was an uh, act of, of mythical proportion. It didn't seem like something that human beings could do. Uh, and so much of science fiction was just a, a leap from that. If, if your baseline is that, then you can just you know build an entire uh, universe of myth. Um, so I think, uh, and, and that gap closes as you go uh, west from India. Um, you know uh, that gap between scientific progress and and uh, just the people who are going to receive that information uh, that 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 chasm sort of narrows down. But in India, it seems like it widens with every year. Every passing year, it widens. Right now, we have a guru who's trying to peddle uh, you know strange um, strange concoction as a as a cure to coronavirus while uh, trashing uh, allopathic or what they call Western medicine. Um, it makes no sense. It's, it's easily verifiable. It's easily, uh, it's it's demonstrably stupid. Uh, the idea that there's a that this this guy has come up with a cure for coronavirus somewhere alone uh, in an ashram. Uh, that idea is laughable. But there's a lot of people who are embracing that idea. It's because that science is so poorly understood. Yeah, it's because that science hasn't been communicated enough to people. It hasn't been repeated enough uh, to people. It hasn't been verified. Uh, that's that's why this keeps happening, whether it's anti-vaxxers or people who believe that uh, babas can cure uh, COVID or babas can cure cancer or whatever have you. Uh, I feel like that's, that's at the center of it. That's at the center of all of this. So, uh, I would just...
3: Even what you're saying is right. But also at the same time, I feel like in, India is so weird. Like there's that story of, so there's this documentary filmmaker called Anand Patwardhan, And he, uh, so he's made a series of documentaries where he goes to villages and talks to people uh, about a lot of things from, you know, uh, religion to, you know, caste or to, you know, just a lot of um, movements and, you know, um, like protests, everything. So he is in this one village where there's this very old, frail lady who's uh, sort of lying on the bed and, this documentary filmmaker is having a conversation about God. That does God exist or not exist? Uh, and she comes from this belief that, of course, God exists, and it's it's this irrefutable proof that God exists. So he asks her that, "What is your proof?" Uh, so so he she brings up a photograph of a representation of a God uh, that's you know you get on calendars. So it's like a it's a it's a photograph. It's like a painting or an illustration or a sort of like a photo, cheap photograph of a of a person dressed up as God, and she believe that that's God. And she's like, you know, you see you see the technology that you're holding, that camera that can that can capture God. So she believes that you know technology can capture you know something that's invisible. Uh, so science can sort of work in these mysterious ways, which is why I find India's. You know this fascinating sort of bit of like understanding what this relationship is because you have uh, you know these people in one end where you're talking about it, they're completely against technology and and at the same time you have people who are sort of co opting it in a in a very weird way. Yeah,
1: it's uh, I I think you also picked the funniest uh, job that a. A super genius robot would want to do. And it would would, like it would piss everybody off. Well now I (laughs) I it totally makes sense. uh,
4: Now I assume it must come from your love of Seinfeld. That's why he
1: wants to be a stand-up comedian. Yeah, here's the thing about airline food. I'm a robot. Um (laughs) like being a stand-up comedian is potentially like the least uh useful profession there is, and yeah, everyone in the world would be annoyed at this if if our super robot who was supposed to fix everything did that it was it was a real kind of like futurama bit i think like that that would totally happen and we would all get annoyed by this but uh do you want to talk about his uh his comedy career such as it is because (laughs) i think that yeah that that is that's one of the things that sets this apart from any other sort of depiction of a robot i've seen because
4: i sometimes called him like good bender
1: he is kind of like a good version of Bender. yeah Yeah. Uh, but uh, do do you want to talk about that because uh I've never seen a robot try to be a comedian before, and, uh, you know, yeah. arguably I still haven't seen one, so... <laughs> His jokes are okay, <laughs> but they are the same <laughs> thing that an AI would, like, uh, insert humor module. Okay, uh, <laughs> th- th- this yeah. is a joke that's been synthesized for many hundreds of jokes.
3: <laughs>
2: yeah. yeah. Actually, I think- uh, that, that was the, really the genesis of, of the whole show, the entire series. Uh, started with uh, the, the the silly notion that what if the, what if the whatever computer could tell jokes, uh, and I feel like we structured the series as a sketch, as a key and peel sketch, if you will. That it's just a as an escalation of a of a an obs- of an idea that's absurd at its at its core, uh, and then let's see where we can take it. Um, and as as we built on that, we realized that it was making a little bit of sense to us as we went along. It made sense that. Um, I mean the the idea is 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 laughable because we can't imagine computers doing anything emotional. Uh, humor being the most mysterious out of out of everything. Uh, a, a computer might be able to mimic uh, joy or or sadness or whatever because there you can identify the moving parts for those emotions. Uh, but but humor is something that's really complex that we don't probably fully understand yet. Um, so that idea seemed uh, complex uh, and and we we felt that there was so much conflict and complexity and um, uh, and strangeness in that idea that we could use it and and run with it and it was such a fertile ground for for creating this character out of that um, and, and then as we as we started doing that of course we knew that we were uh, uh, we were making a comedy we were uh, you know influenced by uh, Amazing sitcoms that had uh, that had influenced us, was uh, Seinfeld or, or even just George Carlin's work. We uh, we wanted to see um, how we could create an interloper uh, in a society like India, who's just constantly calling people out on their rubbish, um, and of course who gets who gets uh, annihilated for it, who gets uh, destroyed for it, um, and and the just the career trajectory of, of something that starts off as a savior and then ultimately falls from grace and this becomes this strange washed up uh, shadow of its former self um, that seemed really exciting for us um, so yeah the, the, the idea that uh, a comedian could be the savior uh, of us all of, of human civilization seemed just like an uh, it seemed like an endlessly fascinating and uh, absurd idea uh, and again, it, it, in India, it's, it's an interesting time to be in India because if you look at uh, a lot of the dissent against the present uh, administration that's it's emerging from India is coming from comedians. Uh, our comedians are some of the most outspoken people um, in in civil society. Uh, it's It's been a strange journey. It's been uh, the, the, the jobs that politicians are supposed to do, the, the, the people who've been tasked with calling the government out or, or uh, holding them accountable has been uh, uh, has been outsourced to comedians so comedians have just taken up that mantle um, they've been um, they've been uh, endlessly sort of subjugated to constant harassment for it as well we've had comedians go to jail spend months and months in jail uh, for for uh, putting out a tweet or or making a completely silly uh, joke uh, about the prime minister or about any of the other people running the show, um, so uh, it, it it became a uh, an interesting exercise for us because uh, comedy seemed to be uh, the finest expression uh, that we had at our disposable disposal, uh, disposal um, for dissent. Um, so uh, the the idea of of capturing that uh, inside a robot uh, that a, a robot is choosing to express itself to that medium seemed really interesting and, and very relevant
3: for our time. And also historically, you know, the idea of uh, a joker or a fool was the one who could, like, criticize the king or the kingdom, right? Because any king, any sort of court would have the court jester, who was the only one who, can say, who could say, like, really uh, outrageous things and not be beheaded. So the fool or the joker has always sort of played that sort of role uh, as, as a critique to society. Uh, as the one who sort of holds the torch and holds the holds the light to you know the injustices that happen, so it was. So we wanted to make that uh, as you know the central uh, premise also as the comedian, uh, and the other thing was also that like Neil was saying that humor is so is so it's the most evolved uh, out of all you know uh, consciousness elements like from anger, jealousy, greed, uh, laughter, you know all of those things. Laughter is is the most evolved like a lot of like even in the in in, in in other species and other animal species who else cracks jokes or who else cr- laughs it's it's a very very evolved sort of um sort of uh, uh Thing. it's a, that emotion is very evolved and the idea is also again like a you know because we were talking about what makes anything conscious what makes anything sentient so you need to sort of break down what does consciousness entail what is it empathy is it agency is it a desire what what encompasses true intelligence or true consciousness so we thought that humor is is, is that sort of pinnacle because to understand, I mean, you need so many things to understand humor, right? You need foresight, you need to understand patterns. And once that pattern is broken is when humor arises. Uh, So having all those sort of, it felt like a very complex uh, thing, uh, you know, emotion to sort of, uh, for a robot to have. And if a robot has that, then chances are it truly could be conscious. Uh, So that was also one of the reasons why we thought that it makes sense for Ajit to be a comedian even if it's a bad comedian the fact that he's, he he uh, it sorry understands uh, you know jokes or like kid crack it is it, it that's what makes it special uh, and then of course all the the satire and the you know uh, the political uh, torch it sort of lights on that's that's added of course
1: yeah i mean it's hard enough for like we're all humans but to understand indian humor is almost beyond us in a lot of places because there's a language barrier and cultural barrier, but uh, I, I thought Ajit was funny. Like it's like it, he he did he did tra- uh, transcend to everyone. He 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 was he was funny in a way that everyone understood. But uh, yeah, it's not because his jokes were good. Not, not because <laughs> his jokes were good, but like he, just his general way of being was funny. And I love him. His interactions with uh, Vijay Varma, especially, were like that was probably my favorite part of the show. That kind of odd couple like alien nation sort of linkage between a guy who just hates robots and uh, yeah. a, a robot who just wants people to like him so much.
4: And Radhika Apte is so tender towards him. This
1: yeah. Like that <laughs> she whole... keeps trying to help him out. <laughs> um, but we're, we're getting close to an hour here. So I just got a couple last little questions. Um, so what is it about uh, Goa that you wanted to use it as the setting for the show Um, Because typically, you know, from our our perspective, Goa, we see as the sort of uh, vacation
0: place, the vacation
1: place, the party place, but also you get the sort of Portuguese leftovers, something like uh, Guzarish or something, where Mm. um, you've got kind of these colonial leftovers, and it's different from sort of the British colonial leftovers. It's got an interesting fever to it, and I'm wondering if maybe that sort of collision is why you pick Goa, but uh, just maybe let us know what, what that was about.
3: So, I mean, one thing that we sort of did, you know, for the show was um, we used a lot of tropes. Uh, so we wanted, because we knew that the idea is dense, uh, in the end we are talking about AI laws and policy. Uh, so it is, it's a dense topic for, you know, just regular moviegoers or, you know, people who watch the show. So we wanted to sort of, uh, uh, you know, Put it in a pill that was comfortable, put it in something that wasn't easily, uh, you know, uh, more like easily acceptable and more like comforting to sort of see. Uh, so we use the idea of the murder, you know, the, the murder mystery, the the form of like a detective, uh, a noir detective sort of murder mystery where all this is in, in unfolding. Uh, and in noir, noir films or like a lot of these detective films, it's, it's really interesting when they go to like a really offbeat uh, small town place in, you know, I don't know, in some backwater somewhere uh, or like the Florida backwater somewhere. It just, it goes to some very quaint place where it seems unlikable that a crime like this could sort of happen. Uh, So we wanted to use that kind of trope as uh, also that, you know, the, the idea of like Goa being this, sort of uh, uh, quaint coastal town where uh, it seems unfathomable that such a crime could uh, occur. So we wanted to use that trope. uh, And it also made sense for us in in terms of the show because we wanted to create a a sort of an alternate universe, an alternate world. So we we ended up using a lot of different cities in in India and we amalgamated into one fictional space called Goa. Uh, And we wanted to have both those, the, the world, because like in most science fiction films and most science fiction stories, the city is as much as a player as, you know, uh, the characters are like, you know, there can't be Batman without Gotham, uh, the Gotham city. So most of these things work in conjunction. So we wanted to uh, re-tell the idea of, and retell the story of how Goa could be um, um, consumed in pop culture.
1: So it's kind of like in, Neuromancer, those books, how the Eastern US is turned into the sprawl. So it's it's not Goa as we understand it, it's Goa plus a bunch of other sort of places around it. Okay.
4: Well and Just... I think that's why you you and I Matt had such a kind of post cyberpunk uh, feeling from the show because of the way that it's blending science fiction and noir and i thought i thought it was so smart to set it up as a murder mystery i I was thinking about this the other day there's this comic book series that matt and i read when when it was coming out called fables which is like envisions this idea that all of the like storybook characters that we all grew up loving all like live in exile in new york and and the series (laughs) gets like It gets wild, like it it just kind of spirals into like creating this bigger and bigger world. But the very first story arc is a murder mystery, Mm -hmm. because murder mysteries, people understand them, and so it draws you in. And I felt felt a very similar thing in watching OK Computer, where it's like, I know noir, I know murder mysteries, and then I got drawn into this, you know, this very bizarre, over-the-top amalgamation of genres that just kept throwing, like, every episode I was like, here's another philosophical idea to grapple with, and, and it just, like, I think I think using familiar genres made it really kind of easy to get into, and then by that last episode, you know,
1: just floored. But, just like, floored. De- <laughs> detectives also, it's their job to go to people's houses and ask yeah. them questions, so it's a great yeah. way to yeah. learn about the world, because you know, some annoying guy comes to your house like, hey, where were you? Yeah. What's that? Who is that? Yeah. What's what's going on here? Like that, that, that's yeah. been a classic way of sort of giving us uh, a, a look into interesting worlds. And also that, you know, especially with noir characters, the, the main character is usually fairly existential as mm-hmm. well. Comes from the French yeah. stuff. Yeah. Just, oh, why, why am yeah. I alive? etc. So it, it works really yeah. well. It's
0: that Blade Runner element. Yeah. yeah.
1: Blade Runner.
2: Yeah. yeah. And yeah, and we we had deleted we had a deleted sequence uh, from episode one I think where Mona Lisa does go around um, the city in Goa uh, asking questions and again that was structured uh, like a sketch because she can't find answers so with each visit to a new house uh, she escalates what she brings to the house to show because <laughs> it starts with a photograph it it goes to a big poster and then eventually in the third part of it she just brings the dead body uh, to to ask. Uh, to ask the, the, the house if, if they can identify the body because she simply can't get any answers. Uh, and yeah, that, that, was, that was the instinct behind it that it's a sketch, it's a funny idea. Um, it's stupid, it's absurd, but you also get to see Goa and its its, its citizens. Uh, and also the idea that uh, like just Chinatown and how it's just like it's Chinatown, Jack. We wanted to capture that, but for Goa. Um, uh, there's a great documentary called uh, Los Angeles Always Plays Itself, oh, yeah. um, and just it speaks so much for uh, for, for the city as a character. Uh, and I think that we don't do enough justice to to our cities. We don't expose them enough. Like uh, what Puja was saying about architecture, there's so much architecture that we don't even know exists in India. Uh, the the pyramid building, for example, the the headquarters of the corporation. Um, oddly enough, that's a uh, that's a literal mm-hmm. monument to Gandhi. Uh, it's a museum built in, in Gandhi's honor, uh, and it, it's the strangest thing because it's it's uh, it's exactly what Gandhi wouldn't have wanted uh, to represent him. Uh, it's it's completely excessive. It's a profligate sort of exercise, um, but people didn't know that it existed uh, in India. Uh, it's it's like 600 kilometers from Bombay, um, so we wanted wanted to take the idea of. Uh, Goa always plays itself and, and subverted it, uh, and, and show people a completely new Goa.
1: Yeah, it almost, it almost makes me think of uh, the film Shanghai, where the idea of Shanghai is this uh, what do they call it like an economic development space where there aren't the yeah. rules anymore and you could do whatever crazy tech stuff right. you want and not worry about that. And they want it, I don't I for, oh, it was in a, like an imaginary city in the movie Shanghai. Uh, that they wanted to make that city into a Shanghai. So a Goa is also a place where, you know, tech can run rampant and, you know, human rights can be trampled on as long as you're making enough money. So yeah, Chinatown example makes sense too. Um, So... Quick lightning round question. Which is your favorite robot? Uh, I could say mine was the Chaiwala robot. She seems very personable and easy to get along with and very helpful, but which is yours?
4: I like the little chicken who's making bets. Yeah, the the chicken
1: who's keeping an eye on everything.
2: I think that would be mine as well. I think that would be mine.
3: Yeah, I think uh sure. it's the same. I I do like the welcome what, like no, I mean the the most. Because I mean that's one thing I we really wanted to do, like bring the uh, get characters, like get like have every like, every robot should have some quote or should should have some other life going on and you know it, it's as much a story of it's like a, we keep thinking of it as a coming-of-age story of robots uh, because it is a coming-of-age for Ajib, it's a coming-of-age for uh, you know moshi about the chaiwala what was a coming-of-age for the welcome for the rooster what so it's a coming-of-age for every single machine well,
1: they've kind of they've expanded beyond their jobs. Like, if the welcome bot was supposed to welcome you to things, she probably wasn't programmed to be like a neighborhood watchbot who's suspicious of everybody. And the yeah. the Chaiwala bot, uh, um, what they use her to block Vijay Varma into the back room so he can't get in, yeah. can't do his job because he hates robots yeah. so much. Uh, my favorite joke in the whole, the whole show is that his parents were DJs and they, they, that joke was just sort of outsourced to robots because <laughs> yeah. Yeah, basically a robot could be a DJ now, but that would make you very angry at robots. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. 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 Um, and yeah, who? what character do you think... Because they all have sort of different perspectives on everything that's going on. You wanted to give us this dichotomy between everybody. But who is closest to your own sort of opinions about what should happen with AI and robots and the future? Who who do you think would be, not the author, insert character, but the one that you agree with the most?
3: I mean, I think for both of us, I can speak for both of us. It's Lakshmi's character, like the character, because we are both very pro-technology and... We do think, uh, you know, there is a lot of hope there. So it, we are closest to her for sure. Yeah.
2: Yeah. But I, I think just in terms of uh, what character I would uh, like to see and uh, what character I was, uh, I had the most fun with. I would say it was Vijay's character because, for me, it's like um, Humphrey Bogart transposed to, uh, you know, the 21st century and has to contend with these uh, endless ageless uh, increases uh that that seemed like such a funny thing that this is a straight and narrow narrow hard-nosed cop who has to somehow deal with uh, a, a, a flamboyant assistant uh, a chaiwala robot and other disaffected uh, members of the cyber cell and, and solve this damn murder so that that's that was always a, a fun thing too.
3: sorry i'm saying that it also makes more sense for a story that you know the story is said from the perspective of uh, someone who absolutely is disillusioned by AI than tell the story from a person who was already in love with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, philosophically, we, I think I, we agree with Lakshmi, but uh, of course, as a story, a narrative choice, it makes more sense to go with someone like uh, Sajjan.
1: Well, yeah, because you know, we don't have that level of AI in our world. So, Lakshmi, since she's completely on board with it, we don't understand her yet we haven't seen all these robots but a guy who hates robots i mean that's not that far off we we can understand that yeah. it, would, it would be kind of annoying to have all these robots around especially if they took your parents job um yeah. but uh, i think my other favorite guy is the uh the young sika officer who has to like moonlight as a robot delivering, yeah. delivering and he keeps having all these physical problems and yeah he, he seemed that was relatable to me <laughs> just kind of overdone by a guy and his job isn't that secure so he's got to find other employment that seems very uh you know topical as well i just love mona lisa. oh yeah mona lisa was fantastic I love her so much. She's, she's a revelation really um but uh what's what's next for you guys are you working on another season or what what's next for the world
3: uh i don't know we have a lot of ideas uh you know i mean we ended up putting a lot of ideas also on this show and we wanted to keep that as a jumping board for, like, uh, a more and more, like, this was, I think this was absurdity toned down, uh, like, we really, like, held on to it. So, we really want to sort of go, you know, more all out. Uh, So, uh, the next thing we do, you know, even if it's Okie Computer or something else, um, we really wanted to, like, it'll it'll be conceptual. Again, it'll be, you know, philosophical, of course, Uh, but at the same time, we want to step up the, the, um, everything like world building and philosophy and you know, the narrative and we wanted to make it more, um, quirky for lack of better. Yeah. Words. At
2: the, at the moment we don't know if there is going to be a, a season two. Uh, but I mean, we're, we're really excited. We've been immersed in the world for the last six years. So there's, there's a lot more to come, uh, if it were to happen, that's, that's, uh, extremely exciting. And like Pooja said, it's a conversation starter. We, we were sort of also testing waters with this one because um it was like starting from scratch so we had to lay a lot of groundwork to, to begin to be able to begin um so the the next season if it were to happen would be even more exciting just because now we can get at some of the hardest stuff um and really really exploit that
4: yeah i really felt like that the last episode leaves it open to so much possibility like i, I just I, I i love that last episode just kind of how all these ideas come together and come through and I'm I'm excited for more I hope there is more uh this is I think you know easily one of my favorite projects I've seen out of India in recent years so I hope there's more
1: and maybe like side stories and stuff too I could see a comic book in the background kind of like I don't know a crusading reporter trying to figure out what's going on trans-metropolitan or something yeah that'd be another good way to expand the universe you know
2: yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, we actually did uh, in the in the run up uh, run up to make this happen, there were countless sort of tangential journeys that we took. So there was uh, there was a graphic novel. There's uh, there was a, an entire pilot for an animation series mm-hmm. uh, because it so easily lends itself to something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. There's been countless sort of uh, these meandering explorations uh, before even arriving at this.
3: Yeah. And we also thought of the show almost like a. Uh, sort of origin story for all of the characters. Uh, so it's it's like you, almost everyone has a, ca- a character transformation and then they are set up, uh, like, you know, um, the Luddite character, the Jackie's character, Pushpa, he walks away into the night and you don't know what he is up to and you already have his history. And then you have Lakshmi's character, Lakshmi, who, from uh, someone who really was for AI and she just starts the civil disobedience movement for robots. Where all robots stop working simultaneously. Uh, so it, it was. We also thought of it as a, a good sort of origin story for each character. And, and when you have, when you already have, when you already laid the groundwork, like Neil was saying, it's it's easier to sort of jump off that um, you know base for sure, like a company.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, we're we're definitely excited to see what happens next, and uh, really looking forward to it, and hopefully. Uh, this interview in our episode is able to kind of raise uh, the profile of the show because we really, really liked it and we'd love to see more of it. But uh, thanks so much for coming on. And, uh, uh, yeah, Neil Pagadar and Pooja Shetty, uh, creators of OK Computer. Oh, yeah, do you want to uh, tell our listeners where they can find you or? Online. Online, yeah. <laughs> not, not in real life. <laughs> your Twitter handles and the like if you'd like to share yeah, it. Yeah, address, I guess. I don't even, even remember Oh. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Don't want too many anti-vaxxers writing those. <laughs> yeah. Uh,
3: uh,
2: I, I don't even remember what my Instagram uh, thing is. So uh, I think it's
3: Twitter is puja.moe. Uh, so you can find me there on Instagram. And my uh, Twitter is underscore puja shetty.
2: Okay. Well, it, it clearly looks like we're stalwarts of social media. Uh, <laughs> my Instagram is uh, Neil Pagedar. And my uh, Twitter is, I think, at Neil Page. Uh, I'm remembering correctly, but yeah, that's where we live. We'll leave links
4: for them in the
2: show notes. Thank
1: you.
4: We'll make it easy. Okay. Hello, I'm Elizabeth Bonkink.
1: I'm Andrew Paul.
4: And we're the hosts of The Well Endowed Podcast.
2: The Well Endowed Podcast is produced by Edmonton Community Foundation, or ECF as we call it.
4: ECF provides grants to charities through the endowment funds we create and manage with our donors.
1: Hence the title of our show, The Well Endowed Podcast.
4: Every month, we bring you a collection of stories and interviews with fascinating guests who are working to make Edmonton a strong, vibrant city to live in. Through these stories, we look at the space where endowments intersect with your communities. So if you're interested in the people and issues impacting your community, check out the wellendowedpodcast.com
0: This episode is brought to you by Park Power, your friendly local utilities provider in Alberta, offering internet, electricity, and natural gas with low rates, awesome service, and profit sharing with local charities. In Alberta, you get to choose who you buy your internet, electricity, and natural gas from. If you choose Park Power, you are choosing a positive local business, Plus, Park Power shares its profits with local not-for-profits that are working to make a difference for their communities. Shopping local is very important to Park Power's owner, Chris Kazowski, And we love local here at the Alberta Podcast Network, so it's a great fit. Learn more at parkpower.ca.
1: Thanks again to Neil and Pooja for coming on the show and talking at Bokeh Computer. Uh, It's on Hotstar right now, so go watch it. What what else you got to do?
0: Uh, Yeah, as I think listeners can tell we loved the show we really hope that there's more and so we encourage everyone to to cue it up and and watch it it's it's really quite a you know i mean it's it's a very intellectual show but it's also just full of funny characters and funny moments and uh, i think is my favorite thing i've seen all year so far it and barb and star
1: Two very different things. Really.
0: And I'm not a comedy person, but comedy is really, really winning the year for me. Mm -hmm. Maybe because everything else going on in the world is too depressing to think about.
1: Bit of a downer, yeah.
0: Uh, And on that note, uh, we are going to be taking a bit of a break. Mm -hmm. Uh, We're going to be taking a month off because we are going to be preparing for our mid-year review episode. Every year, well, most years, uh, we do a year-end episode and a mid-year review episode. So we cover six months of Hindi releases all at once, and our next episode is going to be us discussing the Hindi releases that we've had the opportunity to see from the first six months of 2021. Now it's going to be uh, a bit of a different year, as Mm -hmm. our last year-end, our our 2020 year-end review episode... uh, We also found ourselves in a space where movie theaters have just been closed for for the past six months. It's
1: just what we can get at with uh, streaming, because they're still not open here yet.
0: Yeah, so So it's going to be for the most part... And um... I don't want to go
1: to the movie theater, honestly. It's (laughs) dangerous out there.
0: Yeah, it's going to be for the most part streaming releases. But uh, we're going to need some time to really catch up in our viewing. So that's going to be out in in about a month. Uh, In the meantime, Matt, how can people come up with the show?
1: At Bollywood Pod on Twitter... I'm at Matt underscore B O W E S. You're at Aaron E. Fraser. Uh, Facebook.com slash Bollardage for Lovers, Tumblr.com slash Bollardage for Lovers. Uh, rate and review us on your favorite platform. Um, yeah.
0: And while you're rating and reviewing us, you can uh, go check out my other show that I do with Paul Matwichuk called Trash Art in the Movies. Uh, we. What did we just discuss? Oh, we just discussed the recent film Nobody, the action film starring Bob Odenkirk, uh, alongside. Uh, David Cronenberg's A History of Violence. Uh, I had a lot of opinions and a lot of thoughts, uh, some good and some bad, about both of those films. So if you'd like to hear that, please go check out that podcast. We'd also like to give a shout out to Becca Dulkey for our artwork. Uh, Tuffy continues to be the best boy.
1: Mm-hmm. Anyway, we'll see you in a month.